Welcome to the Graceway Bible Church Podcast, a place to be immersed in teaching from God's Word. We hope you will be blessed by our sermon series, Difference Makers, Women Chosen by God. Learn with us about how often overlooked women make a difference in the world around them through the power of God. Find out more about this or any of our sermons at www.gracewaybc.org. Join us now as we dive into God's Word. How many here have a phobia? Fear of something? Me too. I have lots. But one in particular that I had when I was younger was the fear of heights. And as the joke goes, it's not really the fear of heights, it's the fear of hitting the ground when you, uh, when you fall. Um, today we're going to embark on one of the most difficult sections of scripture. And we're going to spend some time talking about how Jephthah's daughter handled this tremendous fear that she had, how she handled it by relying on the faithfulness of God. So just let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we just wanted to let you know that we love you that we are so thankful for your presence in our lives. We're so thankful that you're there to guide us and strengthen us through your spirit. When we have these challenges, these difficult times, these fears and these phobias that intersect with our lives. So we thank you for the comfort you provide there. Father, we pray for our message this morning. Father, that the words that you want spoken, though they be by me, Father, that they just minister to our hearts exactly where we are. And we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today's passage is in Judges chapter 11, so if you have your Bibles, if you could turn to Judges chapter 11, and we're going to read from verses 29 through 40. The main part of our study is in verse, starts in verse 34, but it's important to look at verse 20, from 29 on so we get the backdrop of what's happening. So it says here in Judges 11, starting in verse 29, then the spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah as he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he passed on to the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hand. And he struck them from Orior to the neighborhood of Minnith, 20 cities, and as far as abel Karamin with a great blow. So the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. Then Jephthah came to his house in Mizpah, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and with dances. She was his only child. Beside her, he had neither son nor daughter. As soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low and you have become the, cur- the cause of great trouble to me, for I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. And she said to him, My father, you have opened your mouth to the Lord. Do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth, now that the Lord has avenged you on your enemies, on the Ammonites. So she said to her father, Let this thing be done to me. Leave me alone two months, that I might go up and down on the mountain and weep for my virginity, I and my companions. So he said, Go. Then he sent her away for two months, and she departed, she and her companions, and wept for her virginity on the mountains. And at the end of two months, she returned to her father, who did with her according to his vow that he had made. She had never known a man, and it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went year by year to lament the daughter of Jephthah the Gilead, Jephthah the Gileadite, 
four years in a row. <coughs> All right, so to kind of get us a bit caught up here, we have Jephthah. Jephthah is the son of a prostitute. He was, uh, he was a half-brother to his brothers, and because of that, they chased him out of his home. He must, he, it says here that he was a warrior, and he must have been some type of leader. So when, um, when there was a need to battle the Ammonites, they turned to Jephthah to fight the Ammonites. And we see further in Judges, uh, 12, um, Judges chapter 12, verse 7, that he, was, he ended up being a judge. He was the ninth judge of Israel and served for six years. And in Hebrews 33, he's listed as among the great judges in with Samson and Gideon. And we have the Ammonites. The Ammonites are descendants of Lot. Um, and from their rise and to their fall, the Ammonites were always strongly bonded with the Moabites. The Ammonites tended to be a bit of raiders. Uh, they tended to be an annoyance to the Israelites. And God ended up banning them from, the, from assembly with the Israelites because, of their, uh, because they had hired Balaam to curse them. Now, there's tremendous debate in this passage here because we, as we talk about Jephthah's vow and what actually happens. And we're going to get into that. But first, I want our focus really to be on his daughter because that's the purpose of our message here this morning is his daughter and the faithfulness that she had shown. So we see here in verse 34 that then Jephthah came home at Mitzvah, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and dances. She was his only child. Besides, he had her, besides her, he had neither no son nor daughter. Now, this was a custom in Israel after a great battle, after a loved one was, was out in battle. When they would return home, they would be greeted with tambourines and with dancing. And it gets me reminded back to when I would come home from work when my kids were younger, when I would show up, and they'd be greeting me at the door. So those of you with young kids like Aaron and Pat and Doug, when you guys come home from work, your kids excited to see you when you come home? Sometimes, yes, I know. And, now, and, I, and I think, I don't know exactly when it was when my kids stopped greeting me, but sometime in the teenage years. Um, no, but seriously, you know, so we, we have this image of, of him, coming, him coming home from battle, and I'm also thinking about, you know, did you ever watch a video of a soldier coming home and surprising their kids? I mean, it's just amazing. Does it bring a tear to your eye? I mean, I think that's what I see here. And, you know, there's no, there's no FaceTime, there's no phone calls, there's no letters. So he was away for however long it was. He comes home, and everyone is excited to see him. And I'm also thinking how wonderful it must have been for this young girl and the amount of pride that she felt that her father, this great warrior, had defeated the Ammonites, and now he's home to greet her. And I'm also thinking that at, at that instant, you know, when he came home, he had the instant you know, realization of, oh, my, it's my wonderful daughter. She's here. She's greeting me. And then the immediate switch that it has in him and when he realizes what had happened. So as we look at verse 35, you know, we, we see Jephthah's reaction to his deal. And he says, as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. You have become this grace cause of trouble for me. And we see in here, you know, Jephthah had taken this vow, and this vow that he had taken before the Lord was an unnecessary one, because he, at the start of verse 29, what does it say? How does it describe him? The Spirit of the Lord was upon him. So there was no need for Jephthah to make this vow, yet he did it, and now he has a consequence. And I think for us, how many times have we been in a difficult spot, and we've lost faith, right? We, 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 we have faithfulness in God, and we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, and we have the Lord guiding us, and there are times when things are extremely difficult that sometimes that gets set aside. We don't do it on purpose. It's sort of Satan's way of dividing us from God. There are times where we tend to set...
there are times where we, at times, set conditions on God. Similar to how Jephthah did here, Jephthah says, God, if you deliver the Ammonites into my hand, I am then going to do this. You know, in computer programming, there are two basic logic gates, and this might be the only sermon you ever hear where we talk about computer programming and logic gates. All right, there are two basic ones. All right, there's if, then, else. If this happens, then this happens, or else something else happens. Or sort of like a do while. While this is going on, continue to do this. So think about times where we maybe have stumbled in our faith a bit and been weak in our faith a bit, where, where we said, okay, God, if you do this for me, then I'm going to do that. I think about people sometimes who maybe play the lottery, right? There's like a $500 million jackpot. God, if you give me that jackpot and the winnings, I promise I will donate 10% of that to the church. Right. Or, or sometimes we, or, you know, sometimes if we're a little weak in faith, we, we are happy with God when things are good. But as soon as things get tough, sometimes we can question it. So I wonder what Jephthah has going on here. And, and this sort of testing that we place on God really is this form of vanity, right? Because we're not actually depending on God for who he is. We're, we're, we want God to be who we want him to be based on what we get from him, right? And that's sort of what Jephthah is doing here, right? He's saying that, God, if you deliver the Ammonites into my hands, then I will do this. In James 5, James tells us, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. Let your yes be yes or your no be no. There is no need to make any vow or any promise before God. You know, we think of times that others have lost their faith. You know, let's put ourselves in Jephthah's daughter's place. Has there been times where others have lost their faith and it's had a consequence on us? Or on the other side of that, that we maybe have stumbled in our faith and as a consequence on somebody else. Right, so we have a situation here where, where Jephthah, maybe his faith weakened a bit, and he made this vow, right? And his daughter is now experiencing the consequence. But the amazing thing about his daughter is that she knew the importance of the vow, not in her making the vow, but the importance of the vow being kept because her father made the, his vow before the Lord. You know, Jephthah's daughter understands the importance of keeping the vow and like I said, like not only she had made the one, but her father. And then she encourages her father, in verse 36, she encourages her father to, to stand for the vow with which he made before the Lord. He says here, and she said to him, my father, you have opened your mouth to the Lord. Do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth, now that the Lord has avenged you upon your enemies, the Ammonites. You know, <clears throat> this is a time when vows meant something. Nowadays, we don't use words like vows, and nowadays promises, for the most part, I think, really don't mean much of anything. I mean, you can say anything you want about anything, and who really cares? You know, you think about what goes on on the internet and, and discussion forums. You know, I used to love, well, I still do, I really enjoy watching Little House on the Prairie. I remember when I was a kid coming up from school, that would be on at like 4 o'clock and 5 o'clock, maybe on like channel 57 or something like that. Now, you know, sometimes I come home from work, Andrea has it on, we're watching it on Cozy TV or whatever it is. And, you know, and that's in a time, you know, you see Pa there, he's plowing the fields, he's doing his work. He needs something, he gives his word. There's a handshake, there's agreement and understanding that he would follow through on it. Vows and keeping our word meant something. And it's a shame now in our culture that keeping our word, it really doesn't seem to amount to much of anything. But for Jephthah's daughter and for Jephthah himself, they understood the importance of the vow and making it before the Lord. And people do things all the time. So Jephthah, I'm sorry, let me back up for a second. Jephthah made this vow and it affected his daughter. 
people do things all the time that affect us in our lives. And it's a struggle that we go through, and it's disappointing, but that's life. That's the world that's before us. However, what matters is where we place our faith. And we can complain, we can get angry, we can be, we can be um, discouraged, we can get upset at what the vow or the promise or the, the action was, we can get upset at the person. And at times we can get upset at God because of the situation that we're in. And really there's only two things that can happen. We can stay strong in our faith, we can lose our faith. And we have here in Jephthah's daughter an excellent example of someone who's keeping their faith in the most tragic circumstance. And she was about to experience something so amazingly difficult, but her focus was still on honoring God. But really, as we look at this passage, as we start getting into the, the second part here, we see that we're coming from a challenge that's been placed on her by her father, but also we begin to see a challenge that she places on herself. You know, we set all kinds of expectations on ourselves, right? Some, some are very goal-driven, some more goal-driven than others. Um, I remember when I first started here at Graceway back in 2009, um, Cliff, Cliff, I, Cliff, I know you're here because I saw you. There he is. He asked me, I think, on my first Saturday, first Saturday, first Sunday, if I wanted to play on the church softball team, right? Those of you who have met Cliff, that's probably one of the first requests. And then joined Men's Fellowship. No, but he, you know, I, I went out and I played, and I had this expectation that I, that, I, that I would get a hit in every at-bat. And I think I got only one. And then I didn't want to play anymore. I set an unreasonable expectation on myself. Nobody hits a 1,000, right? I set an unreasonable expectation on myself. So recently, I mean, I've been back playing with the softball team. There's been a lot of fun, the fellowship there. Um, but the point is, at times, we, place, we all place expectations on ourselves for anything. Some are reasonable, some are unreasonable. You know, we think of, you know, when we come out of New Year's, we all make New Year's resolution, what's the most common one? You're gonna try and lose a little bit of weight, maybe exercise a little bit more. We can set reasonable or unreasonable expectations. I'm gonna try and lose five pounds, I'm gonna try and lose 30 pounds. I'm gonna try, try and do it in a week, I'm gonna try and do it in three months. I wanna exercise a little bit, I'm gonna go for a walk after dinner, or I'm gonna run five miles a day. Right? It all depends on the person, right? It all depends on the ability and what we can do. Right, so we have to be reasonable with the expectations that we place on ourselves. But the expectations really need to, are really not about us and what we're trying to accomplish are about us. We have to be sure of where the focus is, right? It's the focus is on honoring and glorifying God. And that's what his daughters, that's what her focus is on here, because her focus is about honoring the vow that her father has made before the Lord. And then she says in verse 37, she said to her father, let this thing be done to me, colon, let me alone two months that I may go up and down the mountain and weep for my virginity, I and my companions. So she has this, this, these, two months, these two months to spend time with her friends. You know, really, this is not like a two-month-long bachelorette party. It's not like she's going to go meet her bucket list. You know, this isn't a situation where like the prodigal son where he takes his inheritance and wants to go off and splurge. No, she is taking the time to, spend, to go to her place of solitude to lament and prepare and to pray. And she brings with her the people that are closest to her that can support her. When you're in a difficult time, where do you turn? Where is your quiet place? Who are the people that you turn to? We are not in this alone. 
God did not create us to be solitary people. He created us to be in fellowship with each other, to be part of the body of Christ. And the reason for that is to build each other up and to comfort each other. Right, so, so we have here, she's going to a place with no distractions and a place of peace. A few months ago, uh, I was speaking on one of our Zoom Sunday nights, and we were talking about the Sabbath, and what do we do on the Sabbath, and where, where do we turn for relaxation and peace? And for me, it's going to sound strange, but it's cutting the grass. I know a lot of people, it seems like a chore, right? But for me, it's cutting the grass. The time I'm there, on a, I usually cut the grass on a Monday. It's because it's my, it's, my, it's my Sabbath day. I cut the grass on a Monday. I'm out there outside enjoying God's creation, smelling the cut grass. I, spell, I find time to clear my head and to pray. Then about an hour later, the allergies kick in, but I spend time, that's my time to focus and on spend time with the Lord. And you won't believe how many sermon ideas come out of me sitting on the tractor and cutting the grass. It really does. Actually, this visual came right out of that. But, um, no, but th my point is, when we're, having a, when we're in a difficult moment, we need to find a place of solitude without distraction. Right? There are so many distractions. I mean, just trying to clear our head. I was talking to a gentleman this week who was sharing with me that he has trouble clearing his head to pray because the stressors of this life just compiling in. And how many of us does that happen to when we're trying to pray, we're trying to study, we're trying to spend time in devotion, and, okay, I have this going on for work, and I have this meeting at 9 o'clock, and I have this, and then the kids need me to do laundry, and I have clothes to fold, and, and whatever it is, there's so many distractions. We need to spend time clearing our head of that, and just, we need, to, we need to spend time sort of replacing what that distraction is, right? So if it's just a matter of just two or three minutes of clarity, like Denny recited the 23rd Psalm today. Find something of focus in Scripture that you know, that you have memorized, that you can turn to. And once you say that once and your head's cleared, then you can say it again and your head's cleared a little bit more. It's creating time and focus with God. And that's exactly what she did here. And not only did she spend time, did she, did she go away, she actually spent time staying. So if you look at verse uh, if you look at verse 39, oh, nope, I'm, I'm one too far ahead. So I'm still in 38. Um, all right, so I said, okay, so let's think. So she has this challenge. So she's taking this time to be away and spending time with the Lord. So she's challenging herself to spend two months lamenting, praying with her friends. So I want us to think, you know, we talked about the quiet time that we have. I also want to think about how do we challenge ourselves? How do we challenge ourselves spiritually? So here she's spending two months in prayer and lament. So how do we challenge ourselves? And I'm not talking about the physical. I'm not talking about the things we talked about with the dieting and the weight loss and all those things. And all those things are wonderful. But what are your spiritual challenges? What are your challenges in being dedicated in time for Scripture, in journaling, in studying, in fellowship, in fasting, in giving, in serving? Have we challenged ourselves in our commitment to these? Jephthah's daughter is an excellent example of two months dedicated to prayer. Now, where do we spend time dedicating ourselves and challenging ourselves in our spiritual growth? The greatest barrier to us to honoring our commitments is not others. It's contentment. We become so content with where we are and so comfortable with where we are that we lose focus that we constantly need to be growing in our commitment to the Lord. We need to constantly be challenging ourselves in our spiritual growth. So here we have an example of a woman who has had a, who has had this, um, this circumstance and this situation placed on her by somebody else, 
Now, and now she is challenging herself by continuing to stay and being prayer with the Lord. And then we see that she returns. And at the end of two months, she returned to her father who did this according, who did with her according to his vow that he had made. Her courage to return could only have come from God. She knew where her focus was. She knew that it was to, to make sure that this vow to the Lord was maintained. She dedicated her time to prayer and to preparation. And then it says that she returned. Imagine the courage that she must have had. Two months up there. Now we think, now we also, let's put ourselves back into that time period. When were young women married? Oh, 13, 14 years old. So she was probably about 12. Having this vow on her, placed on her by her father, and she had the courage to come back to, I don't want to say face the vow, but her courage to come back to, make, to ensure that the vow that her father had made was fulfilled. Courage is a word that's used in our culture. I think it's given way too much liberty in our culture. It's kind of overused like hero. Everyone's a hero, and everyone has courage no matter what it is. Here we see true courage by this young woman. And it's my prayer that none of us here will ever, will ever face anything like this. And there are Christians that live their lives in fear of whether they will, you know, they, they live their lives in fear of facing life or death every day. And we think about ourselves and our Christian lives, really, what is our struggle? Being able to get up on time for church? Being able to stay awake during the sermon? I mean, that's really what it is. I, I, I pray that he doesn't preach all that long. No, there are Christians that don't even know if they're going to make it home alive from church. That's courage. That's the type of faithfulness that she had shown. Big or small, our faith in God and our discipleship is going to be challenged. And Jesus, Jesus lays this before us. If we look at Luke chapter 14, in verses 25 and through 27, he says, now, is, now great crowds accompanied him, talking to Jesus here, and he turned and he said to them, if anyone comes after me and does not hate his own father and mother, his wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Jesus is telling us that, that when we have focuses that are not on him, these are challenges that separate us from our relationship with them. He knows that these challenges are going to face us. And, you know, what he's talking about here, I mean, these are figurative. He's not telling us to hate our own mothers and fathers. He's, take, he's telling us to, to, to make sure that our focus is right, and that is our faithfulness on him. Our courage can only come from God. That is what it is. It's not, we, anytime we insert ourselves into that, we will fail. It may seem that things are okay for a while, but in the end, we will fail. And when we do, when we do like the if then, God, if this, then that, or God, I will continue to honor you while we are inserting ourselves into God's plan. We need to step out of the way because our, our courage and our faithfulness can only come from the Lord. And then we can see that the impact that that courage and that faithfulness has on others. So if we look at the second half of verse 39 and in the verse 40, it says that she had never known a man and it became custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel wept year by year to lament the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite four days in a year. The impact of our faithfulness will be profound on others. Now, some of it may not be as grand as the New Testament writers or as the individuals that we're studying here, um, but think about that the impact that your faithfulness has had within your church family, the person sitting in the pew next to you, to the left and to the right, the people in your own family and your neighbors, isn't this what really making disciples is all about? 
our faithfulness in the Lord and in Jesus Christ, that having an impact on others. Now, we don't serve to be commemorated. We serve humbly. But there are some individuals that serve in such a majestic way that they are commemorated. Martin Luther, Billy Graham, right? But our lives are about, our, our lives and our faithfulness should be about impacting others. So here we have the women of Israel lamenting for four days the daughter of Jephthah. So here we're going to transition a bit into whether, what actually happened here with this vow. Now, I can't tell you whether it happened or not. Revelation of Scripture only comes from the Holy Spirit. All I can do is kind of put the pieces together and let the Holy Spirit inform you in your decision. First here, we have Jephthah making a vow of human sacrifice. We see on verse 29 that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, but still he made this vow. In Israelite culture, human sacrifice was not allowed. It was not permitted by God. And the punishment for human sacrifice was death. Two, humans, any sacrifice to the Lord could only be done at the tabernacle. That's the only place that God accepted any sacrifice. And sacrifices can only be offered up by Levitical priests. And no priest would ever have participated in any type of sacrifice. Then we have the focus here. The focus in this passage here from verse 39 to 40 isn't her death, it's her virginity. Right, so it's on, it's on her, her not being able to bear children. Now this doesn't in any way diminish her, her weeping in any way and her lamenting. This was a girl that was willing to give up such a humongous sacrifice to help her father in honoring his vow to the Lord. And she was willingly giving up her joy becoming a wife and a mother. And in verse 39, it says here that when she returned, um, when she returned town, down from the mountain and Jephthah went to, read to, uh, to fulfill his vow, the follow-up was not that she had died, but that she had known no man. These two things don't really seem to go together. Now with Jephthah, also with the focus, the only mention of the verse, the, verse, um, the burnt offering is back in 31, and everything else in our, in our section here is all vo- focused on celibacy. Then you have the daughters of Israel in verse 40, where they come to lament the daughter of of Jephthah, and I can't imagine that they would have come to celebrate the sacrifice of a young woman. I see see them here more commemorating her celibacy. Later views of Jephthah in Hebrew is 1133. Um, Have him among the great judges, and I can't imagine that he would be listed among the great judges if, if he would have sacrificed his daughter. So putting all the pieces together here, so a couple of thoughts. One, that when he made the vow, that he was really intended, as he made the vow of a burnt offering, he was really intending it for his daughter to be part of the temple service. There was women that served outside of the, the temple, the tabernacle. There was women that served outside there. I really don't see any place in scripture where that's really applicable. There's no translation there that sort of suits that. The thought might be that after, when he made the vow, he had, his intention was to make a sacrifice, but it was not to be a human sacrifice, but it was just to be a sacrifice. And when he saw his daughter, he was like, "Uh uh-oh, I was really sort of expecting an animal to come out, and now there's my daughter. Now what do I do? So it may be that he had changed his thought here where he was like, okay, I have to offer something, I have to make a vow, I have to have this vow fulfilled. What do I offer to the Lord? I offer my daughter in service to the Lord, not in sacrificing her. Now we have to realize culturally nowadays, we don't offer our daughters up as anything. That's not, that, that's not part of our culture. So even culturally, that is something difficult for us to hear that 
that he was offering his daughter up to temple service, but still in that culture, uh, fathers directed the future of their daughter's lives. So like I said, I, I can't say whether it happened or not, and I can't, I can't tell you that, but just allow these facts and these pieces to sort of guide your thinking here in, in this particular, in this area. So to kind of get us back to Jephthah's daughter, there are three things, there's three takeaways that I'd like this to see to, us to take from this passage. One, there will be challenges from others. Decisions that others make impact us. And how we get through those, that strength and that courage and that faithfulness only comes from the Lord. That's really where our focus needs to be. When we challenge ourselves, we need to constantly challenge ourselves in our spiritual disciplines. As we challenge ourselves in our, in our devotion, we challenge ourselves in our, in our readings, we challenge ourselves in our prayer, in our journaling, whatever the spiritual discipline is, as we challenge ourselves and we grow in those spiritual areas, we will gain the strength to face those things that face us day in and day out. Now, as we, and then, you know, as we had here, as, as um, Jephthah's, as Jephthah's, um, as the women of Israel came back to spend time uh, commemorating um, the sacrifice and the commitment of Jephthah's daughter, one thing that we do here in modern times in the Christian world to commemorate and remember is we celebrate communion to commemorate the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ gave his life for us. He sacrificed himself on the cross for us to redeem us back to the Father. When, through that redemption, through Jesus Christ redeeming us back to the Father, through our belief in him, the Holy Spirit comes and resides in us, and the Holy Spirit is what strengthens us to get us by and strengthens our faithfulness in the Lord. And we have the privilege each, each month to celebrating that sacrifice that Jesus made. So as we prepare our hearts this morning for communion, I want us to think about those things that distract us. Think about those things that are separating ourselves from the Lord. And as we spend a minute preparing our hearts, we just want those things to be set aside so we can be just focused on Jesus and the sacrifice that he made for us. On the night before he was betrayed, 
he sat with his disciples as they were celebrating his, their last dinner together. Jesus was trying to explain to them and share with them the sacrifice that he was about to make. And he told them that this bread, his bread, was a symbol of his body that was to be broken together, to, bro to, be, broken, um, to be broken together. And the idea here is that through them eating of the bread, that they are partaking in Jesus' sacrifice. So let's eat the bread together. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for um, the, the, the minis his ministry on this earth, uh, Father, to share the word with his disciples so they can come and minister to us. But ultimately, it was through the breaking of his body and his sacrifice on the cross, Father, that we're able to be redeemed back to you. And just at that same time, just as Jesus had broken the bread and shared it with his disciples, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is a symbol of my blood and my sacrifice for you. So as we drink it, let's drink it thinking of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ had made for us on the cross. Let's drink it together. Father, as we think of this as a commemoration, a remembrance of Jesus' sacrifice, it is ultimately his overcoming death on the third day, Father, that allows us to be redeemed back to you. Father, his sacrifice, Father, was given for us as a free gift, and all we have to do is say yes. So, Father, it's my prayer this morning, Father, that if there are any that don't, don't, don't know or understand a relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that their hearts can be open to your teaching, that they can seek um, just to come up after the service, if they have any questions on what a relationship with Christ is about, Father, that we can share the word with them, that... Your Son is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through Him. Father, we pray uh, for the remainder of our, our service th uh, this morning, Father, the remainder of our time together, whether Sunday school or in our homes, Father, that the challenges that others, um, the, the decisions that others make and the effects that they have on us and the challenges that we place on ourselves, Father, that the net can be, they cannot be distractions from You, but rather be used as a means to draw us to You, and our faithfulness to your Lord, to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray for a congregation this morning, Father, that all that we say and we do just be pleasing and honoring and glorifying to you. And we do this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand. Let us sing together the old rugged cross. Thank you for sharing in this message. We pray it will make a difference in your life. Please consider joining us for our Sunday morning and evening worship services. For location and more information, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org, and listen next time to learn more. May the God of peace richly bless you through his Son, Jesus Christ.